Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Jody Marks, who is the CEO and founder of the MRJ Group, who consists of MRJ Recruitment and MRJ Talent. Jody is also a non-exec director to a boutique product delivery business called Nebula, and he is also the co-organizer of a tech event uh, meetup called Tech Leads Northwest. Jody has worked in the industry since 2001. He started his recruitment career at Huxley and then worked for Rulian for a, a good number of years before deciding to start his own recruitment business, MRJ Recruitment, in 2010. So over the last decade, Jody has been really passionate and focused on growing a recruitment business that is truly driven by purpose, not profit. Jody, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Ah, thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, excited to unpack this this journey of yours. So where we uh, always like to start, the uh, million pound question, in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant? So I think uh, most people always go, oh, you've got to be really money driven. Yeah. I just think that's just the wrong way about thinking about things for me. I think uh, if you do a good job, money comes. So okay. I think key things that I always look for is someone who's actually a bit humble. And actually mm. understands that actually we're we're here to uh, we're, we're dealing with people's lives. So yeah. I think people that like for me, I hate the pushy recruiter. I'm all about consultative approach. People yeah. who actually care about other people for me is is really important. But the big characteristics for you know I was telling someone the other day in my team about no means not yet. So just because mm. someone says no doesn't mean it's a no forever. And that's how you're building your network, right? So I think it's mm. no just may mean not yet. So you've got to keep in touch with these people. So it's that perseverance all the time and continuing that uh, knowing that you're going to get setbacks, you're going to get knockbacks, but you've got to keep going. So it's having yeah. that drive to keep pushing and keep pushing all the time. And I think yeah. that's really important. Do you think, like thinking back when you started your recruitment career, 2001, if you were going into that environment going, yeah, like I'm not really driven by money, like all this, like how would that have landed, do you think? How do you think people would have reacted to yeah. that? Has it massively you know, changed? No, I think everyone's says the same thing all the time like it's my most hated uh answer when i, rec- when I interview someone why, why are you here just want to earn money well you can go and earn money anywhere right but mm. if i go back to like right at the beginning i had no idea what i wanted to do dropped yeah. out of university mum and dad were devastated because i dropped out of university and yeah. then start i was working and i actually my, my journey was supposed to start in um in retail so i was working at house of fraser uh, and then um, I was going to go on the management training course. And then I was yeah. told I wasn't allowed to go on it because I wasn't a graduate. Oh, wow. So I was like, all right, then I was going to leave you then. I'll see you later. And then um, went for an interview one day, which ended up being a recruitment company. I, I, and I only went to it at the beginning because my mum and dad said I needed a job. And it's about time I got off my ass and did something. And yeah. so I had no idea what I was going into. So for yeah. me, I, I literally went into it with open eyes. But I remember all these people, it's like, it was proper boiler room. You've yeah. got a great learning. But I think uh, it just comes with experience knowing that if you do a good job, money will come. And I think mm. we get a bad reputation recruiters because it's too transactional, in my yeah. opinion, right? So so my style has always been less transactional, more consultative. Money, you, you will earn good money if you do a good job rather than the other way around. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So like, just really quickly, just keen to like, just get your thoughts on this as we're talking about it because I, I would say most successful recruiters 
that I've interviewed on this podcast definitely would have that mindset and agree with you. So like in your opinion, how would you sum up a recruiter that builds transactional relationships and how would you sort of describe a recruiter that's actually consultative and adds value? Like paint a picture for us of a transactional person and a consultative person. It's a transactional, good question. I'd say the one who would just farm out a candidate to as many places as they can, don't really care where they end up as long as they yeah. get a deal and it's all about KPIs. So it's about yeah. if you send out a candidate, going to be honest with you, so one of the things that we do is MRJ talent, right? So yeah. I'm on site at a company right now. There's a couple of agencies that we're working with, so we're managing a couple of agencies on site. And, you know, they're just farming out candidates to me, but they're sending them out to 10 other places, and they don't really care. Like on a Friday, they're going to get a deal, happy days. But what happens is they're just pushing them in because it's about the money. Whereas yeah. me, and our approach is less is more. Let's find out, like, a sort of approach for me is let's really go and find out what this candidate is all about where they actually want to develop and the, the amount of times i turn around i've turned around to loads of people over time saying got you the offer i don't think it's the right job for you i don't think it's the right job for you and i'll tell you why because everything you told me it's ended up i don't think it's going to be the right place for you so i prefer yeah. someone i prefer not to get a deal but the candidate goes to the right place rather than yeah. just thinking about the money and the, the biggest difference i think between transactional and consultative is mrj has been built on relationships and it's not yeah. just, we just do one deal here, then we move on. It's not just about the 25% fee, you do one and then you move on. We're more about long-term investment in, in clients and, the, yeah. and our business has been built on reputation rather than cold calling, just farming people out. So I yeah, think yeah. It's, 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 I think it's a, a really defined difference in my opinion. I honestly, like I, like, I just can't imagine a recruitment business that approaches recruitment that way in the transactional way to have survived during COVID. COVID's been a really interesting time. I remember that first day, 23rd of March, right? Yeah. About four o'clock, I was pulling my hair out like everyone was, and I was glass of wind up. And I don't think I've stopped since. But <laughs> I think um, I just turned around to my team and said, look, honestly, we're not going to panic. We're not going to panic because we've got these strong relationships and our style of what we do, we're going to come out of it in the right way. What I've noticed mm. is, a lot of companies, because of that style of the transactional, which is KPIs, you've got to make X amount of calls, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do that. They struggle quite a bit. Now, the market's busy, so and they're going, oh, we've just had our uh, biggest ever quarter in, in 12 months. Yeah, but tw 12 months ago, you didn't, you didn't make any money. Like, I know mm. a few companies that have just done year-on-year, 12-month figures, and they just had a great quarter. But 12 months ago, they did nothing. Well, 12 months ago, our style, because we had these big relationships and it was about that, we, we just stayed steady and, and strong the whole time. Yeah, we're doing business, yeah. You know what I mean? So, look, there's a place for it. Don't get me wrong. I think uh, there's always a place for that type of industry, but I think that's where we get a bad name, a bad name if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah. And um, the boiler room style, the, the revolving door, as I like to call it, the revolving door recruiter, which is you're in and out. You've got three weeks to try and, to try and do a deal, otherwise you're out. I think that's coming back again, but that's why recruiters get a bad name, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, I would definitely like to think that there's like more companies that aren't like that than there is, but that I wouldn't be able to say. <laughs> it, yeah. There would be, yeah, I don't know. Like um, I've moved away from the whole, there's just that whole KPI world where it's all about numbers and numbers and numbers. It's just never been my thing. Yeah, sure. We're going to talk about 
you building your own recruitment business, but let's just touch on, so before you took that leap and started that journey, obviously yeah, started your career at Huxley, then worked at Rulian for yeah, nearly, nearly a decade. Would you mind just sharing with us like, maybe you could focus on Rulian or whatever, just the combined experience. Like what were some of the key learnings that you took from, cause you, as you said, you went in open-minded, didn't know even recruitment was a career option. I feel like you probably had a bit of a point to prove to your parents and your peers that you dropped out of uni and you wanted to make the most of it. But like, what were some of the, I guess, looking back, the key takeaways from that journey before you start your own recruitment business that you probably still yeah. live with yes. now, do you think? You know what? Join Huxley. 20 people joined on the same day. <laughs> two, months, two months later, two of us were left. I, joined, <laughs> I remember. I, I, I remember. I, I remember. But you know what? These guys in CS3 group are... Uh, made a shitload of money right and they've done an amazing yeah. job and they've done some brilliant and then their models have changed over time but at that time it was, it was very boilery but i remember coming in when we're going to offer you a role as a trainee five pound an hour and i was like class got a job gonna go and sell mum and dad <laughs> um and it was brilliant like i loved it it was proper work hard play hard and it was great for about 18 months and i got mentored amazingly and i joined Rulion because my my boss at huxley went to Rulion. And took me with him. And, you know, I'm grateful for that because actually joining Rulon was just a completely different experience. So where you had like the proper vertical-based, hard-nosed recruitment at Huxley, you then yeah. went to Rulon, which was all about big client relationships, developing clients, winning something large-scale, but then nurturing it in a big way. So yeah. I got combined the two. So I was grateful for that opportunity. And I was yeah, like, nice. you know, and I, and I remember, so like my old mentor, Gareth, and, you know, I'm grateful for a lot of the stuff that I've done today has been down to the training I got from him right at the beginning. And um, if I think about started, I went to really on, he, he, we had a team, there was probably a team of about 20 when we joined, but they wanted to change what was going on in Perm because it wasn't quite working. So Gareth was brought in and eventually it was like me, me and Gareth and one other against the rest of the Perm team because we had a different uh-huh. way of doing it. Uh but he put his trust in me and I was only a young lad at that point. And then over time, we built up a very, very strong, like the team changed. We built up a super strong perm team. Numbers wise are great, but we combined, I think what me and Gary did, we combined what, we'd, what we had at the Huxley yeah. and combined that with really on him and somewhere in the middle. And it was brilliant. So we had that sort of, there is no second place, but we're going to do that within nurturing clients rather mm-hmm. than well, there is no second place. And then we only just do that one deal. Yeah. We just keep developing it further. So I got some great experience and learning from that. And then I was there, what, eight years, nine years at Rulion. Uh, Gareth moved on. I got um, his role. Always thought I'd want it and then didn't want it, to be honest. I always thought, yeah, to be head of peer recruitment and be part of senior leadership in a big company was great, but it wasn't for me. And time to do something else. So there's a couple of things I just want to ask you before we go into your own business journey. So one, why wasn't it for you? Just talk to us a bit about that and how it felt. Because I feel like a lot of people listening to this will be recruiters that have big goals, aspirations, want to develop, yeah, maybe want to get in that position. Like what what did it actually feel like? And, you know, I think at the time, actually? I probably got the role by default. Gareth left, a couple of people went, Gareth set up something else, you know, and, and yes. it was it was the right thing for, for him to do. They needed someone to step in and I did. But I didn't, did feel, you feel like you like, deserved it. I did deserve it, but I didn't get the trust that we needed to how to grow it. Right. So what happened was at the time the garage just before Gareth left, we lost a couple of people. Then Gareth left with three. So we're five people down. Yeah. Then our target is the same. My basic suddenly has not gone up. 
and also my bonuses are halved. So if you think about it, is when, you, when you go from a recruiter to a, from a consultant to a manager, your your bonuses, well, they should be, your bonuses are based on um, yeah, team net profit for the team, yourself. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can imagine you've got a two million pound target with say twenty people, or a two million pound target with twelve people. Just say, yeah. and your top biller was me taken out yeah. to manage the team, and you've got to hit your two million to get even, not even to get what I was earning before. That was just to get to seventy five percent of what I was earning. Wow. So, so suddenly, and it was like, well, I need six people. Well, we're just not ready to invest in it yet. Well, I'm going to oh. go then. Yeah. And I'm going to go, well, I'm happy. You know what? I was like, I'm happy to hit that target. But I just need a couple. I really just need an investment to it. So maybe there wasn't the trust in that I could do it. I don't know. But I looked at it. I remember coming home one night thinking, I'm just not sure that that uh, this is going to be achievable. I think it, what it what it made me realize is that Rudon at the time was a very contract heavy and all about numbers. You know, yeah. you've got three, 4,000 contractors out and Perm was a smaller thing. And I think they were happy with doing that. And then I was like, well, okay, well, then I remember going back the next day and they were like, right, we're going to increase your basic. I was like, hey, well, good. We're going to increase it from 27 half to 30. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I remember going, no, no, you're like taking a piss, right? So you give me two and a half grand extra for man and I leading the whole team to what, earn 60 grand from 120 grand. That doesn't really add up to me. And then, I, and then I was like, well, let's just see. Let's just think about it. Then I went to a meeting with like the senior leadership and it was just like, so many politics in that. There were, there were too many politics at the time, and I just thought I can't. Like I'm like, don't need to do it anymore. Like, uh, yeah. I've always had. A, I always wanted to set something up on my own. And my little girl was 18 months old at that point, and I know I'd like missed a lot of her first year because you know I was so hard. dedicated and doing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but my advice is like, if people, if everyone wants to develop, you know. Just on on this, uh, just really quickly, because I hear this a lot, and I'm sure you thought about this because someone could feel or experience the potential in your business now like how do you think businesses can change like how billing leaders or managers are like rewarded surely there there could be a bit more of a creative way on how they can still earn the money that they was or like is that just part and parcel of being a manager i don't know you know what people really want to develop and i completely understand that and people want to lead but what happens is i think sometimes people do struggle to go from we've got a couple of guys in my team people struggle to go from a consultant to a manager because yeah. it's so hands-on. And I and, and we can talk about like the MLJ side, but I struggle with it. Yeah. So, so hands-on, you mean like it. you just want to be involved all the time? I just I just love recruitment. I love yeah. <laughs> I love doing deals, right? So what happens yeah. is sometimes you go the billing manager for me is just a senior consultant with two res- like with some resources. I, I find it difficult sometimes, but maybe that's just my experience. So yeah. you need to if you really I think if you really want to become the manager and you want to grow a team, my advice is make sure you know what you're getting yourself in for make sure you've got the right bonus in place and it's achievable because all that's going to happen is in 12 months time you're going to end up earning a lot less money potentially and then what happens is you then fall back into well i need to start recruiting i need to start billing and then it's different it's a difficult balance it is difficult i don't know what the answer is sometimes but i just know that i meet one of my guys into uh into the role of like chief of staff or md and stuff and he manages everyone he manages the team and i'm just like more like the hands-on tech leader in the world of tech like I'm the hands-on leader, yeah. so people follow. But I've just seen it many a time where you've got people will go from consultant to manager. They don't understand why they're not earning the same money. Because but does that have to be the way? About, I don't think it has to be a way. Like my guy, one of my guys now is managing. You know, he's got a really strong bo- a bonus structure in place, quarterly bonus that if he hits, he'll earn more money than he was a consultant. 
he's got something yeah. to go to. Whereas a lot of the time, I, I find that you suddenly get managers who go, well, you're an underground, yeah. but you're going to earn 50, but you've got to do that. And then suddenly you can become a bit hands-on again. And then you don't cope mm. with all the KPIs you've got to do and all these different things. So I think sometimes you've got to go know that you're gonna you could go into management role that you may earn less money for the first year or two. Yeah. Rather than just deep dive getting back into it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think there's definitely space there to be a bit creative of how managers get rewarded and what the bonus looks like, just because I, I just hear this so often and it's just like yeah, I think there's, there's I think they should have a, a higher bonus structure. Back in the times of Rudy on, there's obviously a bottom line. And you're thinking, well, I'm going to pay someone thirty grand basic, right? And yeah. um, as the as heading up a team of twelve, you may earn sixty grand. But my point at the time was, well, pay me a little bit more, so I don't need to worry about my day to day. Give me a real bonus that I can get those two million quid with a couple of extra yeah. people. Your bottom line, your mate, eight hundred grand. You're going to make 800, 800 grand net profit if we get to that point. So pay me. That, but I think it, some I, of that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I see that a lot of the companies go, well, I'm now paying someone 50, 60 grand as a, uh, as a manager. That's heavy, that. But my, my point is, well, you pay someone 60, but you, they can then go earn 120 or 150 as a manager. If they, well, they're only going to yeah. earn that if we hit those sort of levels. So I prefer yeah. to give them those big opportunities, but make it mm. realistic. I think a lot of the time, yeah. managers... But I think the mindset sometimes is, I'm a consultant, I've done it for three years, I want to be a manager. I'm earning 50 grand, 60 grand, 70, whatever it may be. Then you become a manager and you think, yes, I'm being my manager. I don't know, I'm earning a little bit less money now. How's that all work? So I think the, your mindset has to change, you know, that you could become a manager. You may, depending on, on the investment you have behind you, the team you have behind you, you could have a slight dip because it's different. You know, sales, a salesman could make more money than your manager. That's just the reality. That's in every company. Yeah, That's yeah. not just recruitment. Yeah, it's got to come back. Come, it's got to obviously evolve to we, not me, hasn't it? But I think, but I do yeah. think anyone listening to this that wants to go on that journey, I think there's space there to be talking to your leadership team or like whoever in your business about how can we get creative like i want a goal where i'm really excited for our team to hear and what how can we structure it in a way where it's like financially we can really benefit from it i'm, yeah. I'm happy to have a goal that i really go for but and just on that point just in the final bit what i heard someone the other day right saying to me i've wanted to be a manager I'm now a manager i'm struggling with how many kpis i've got to make sure that the team are doing yeah and the team aren't quite hitting the kpis that comes down to my KPI world of I hate KPIs in terms of KPI for KPI's sake. Yeah. So if you put the trust in a manager to build the, to do the team, yeah. let them develop together, like let them develop the team rather than this person suddenly is not making three calls like he's supposed to. And that will actually allow people to have freedom to move their career forward. Do you know what I mean? Suddenly you mm. can become a manager and you think, shit, I've got to make sure this person's hitting 50 calls a day, 20 emails it out. We've got a, a lot of the like becomes a transactional side, and I think mm. sometimes, like I think, sometimes it's difficult for the managers to develop further when they're so micromanaged all the time, and that yeah, happens yeah. in too many. This is not just recruitment; this happens in general, right? You give someone an opportunity, let them go and do it. Yeah, no, really interesting. So let's talk about the last decade. Then, obviously, told us a bit about the experience that you um, was going through got that sort of head of perm position, then didn't quite work out or wasn't what you wanted. Obviously you had your little woman who's 18 months old. So like talk to us about, did you have confidence starting your own recruitment business? Was you worried? Like a lot of people say, I'll start my own recruitment business, but never actually do it. So what gave you the, the courage to take that first step, do you think? 
This podcast is proudly partnered with Vincherry, the recruitment operating system for your front, middle, and back office. So I recently recorded a podcast with James Layton from the Anderson James Group, which will be out really soon. And as part of our conversation, we got into the topic of the best tools that he's invested in so far in his business journey. And guess what? Vincherry was up there and also Sourcebreaker was. But in this very short snippet, you're going to hear why James is so happy to be a Vincherry customer. And look, who's better to tell you about their product and why you should be considering Vincherry as your operating system partner than their customers themselves. Here's what James had to say. We implemented Vincherry right in the heat of lockdown. We decided that it was the right time. The old system that we used was clunky. I'm a real, real, real believer of Vincherry as a system. I must have recommended 20 people to Vincherry over the years because I think they're going to change the game. And I can say that wholeheartedly, having used Bullhorn and another product, I can say that Vincherry is number one in that world for a growing recruitment business because it's intuitive, it's got intelligence suites, it's got everything that you probably need to... Yeah, it's a whole operating is. system, not just a CRM, is it? Is this the whole point? Yeah, it's, and it's, yeah. it's brilliant. And they're brilliant. Like, you know, Eloise and the team there, they're, they're great. And they're always there if you need them for anything. I was like a couple of years behind, my, like a plan. Like I always wanted to do it. And I always thought I could do it. But I went into it thinking, right, I've got a, I've got money in the bank for a year. So... Yeah, 12 month runway. If, if, if it's I can't a, make it work mindset, if it come, Yeah, then I'll get back into recruitment and just be yeah. employed. But I really... Uh, I spent too long trying to think of the name and I ended up with MRJ. I wanted something really cool and I ended up with, with my, my initials backwards only because my, my initials <laughs> forwards, someone else had. So I was like the first four weeks to try and sort out a bloody name and I was like, what's going on there? It's ridiculous. But I always thought I'd do all right. A few months in, one of uh, someone I worked with came to work with me for a bit and um, it was great. Like the two of us together was really good. He, um, he moved on. He wanted to go and do something else. And then it was just me for for a while. I, so I how actually, long was it just you for? A couple of years. But you know two, what? Two, three years? It was probably just under two years. Yeah. And it was good. Like, I found it tough in times, like, sitting in my in my home office. So I went to get myself a, an office, like a small little office in, like, local. But I had all, like, clients I was working with and we were doing some good stuff. And it was I, I enjoyed the flexibility at that point. What I mean by flexibility was dedicating more time to family and... Um, that I probably missed out on, yeah. but was doing some really good stuff. Then I thought, right, we've got money in the bank. We're going to come, let's go and do this seriously. And I went on a bit of a recruitment drive, but I thought naively, let's just go and get trainees and just build a company through trainees. Yeah. Now, some of the trainees who have, who have since moved on and done some great things, like one of them's got his own company now, one's in Australia, has got his own company. They were great, but I didn't have time to train them. Yeah. Too focused on the business, trying to be doing everything. And it was a disaster. So I made mistakes. And then a mate of mine who was in property wanted to get into property recruitment. So we thought, well, how about I just teach you how to do recruitment? And we'd come in and we did like MRJ property. And again, it was just a bad mistake. <laughs> so, you know, you make mistakes, but I've learned from them. So then about five years ago, we were doing a bit too much of everything. You know, money was good, right? But we're doing a bit of everything. It was like one day was this, one day was that. Then we're doing a bit of property recruitment. Then it was like, dealing with any sort of Tom, Dick and Harry. And it was just like, no, this is, I'm just not enjoying what I'm doing. Like, wasn't, money wasn't in the bank. Enough, wasn't niche enough. Didn't enjoy it. I wasn't enjoying like the people I was working with. I'd taken, I knew that the people, some of the people I'd taken were just bad hires at the time. So it was like, right, okay. A couple of the guys 
who were with me and we wanted to try and build it with them. And a third person was coming on. Two of them at that point, I offered them, do you want to get involved in MRJ? So they've now got shares in MRJ. And then another lad, a couple of years later, got involved in shares as well. But we actually turned around and said, right, imagine that we just draw a line under this business for a minute and we just do a blank piece of paper and, and just go, right, we have no clients today, but let's go and go and like, which clients are they, like, do we actually want to work with? So we wanted to work. So we was like, well, let's go and work with some e-com companies that we can actually see the benefit of our work or websites or, or tech companies that we would actually see. We place developers when we go on the website. That's pretty cool, right? We can see the yeah. developers are actually building what we're doing. So we did. We called a lot of clients that we worked with, which people thought I was absolutely mad at the point. But we were just doing it just for money's sake. It just wasn't really. Yeah. So let's before before we go into the last like five yeah. years then, which is because it seems like just, I just want to make sure like we unpack this a bit because I feel like people can relate to it. So yeah, it seems like yeah, like thanks for being so honest and sharing all of that. So I, I just want to make sure that people listening to this can I guess learn from the mistakes that you've made, right? So firstly. You said around the positives of you just smashing out on your own, like flexibility, seeing family, money. Like, just talk to us for a second, because I think sometimes people can underestimate this. So I think it's important that we talk about, like, what what were the challenges? Was it the challenges mentally? Was it the challenges, I'm just doing this on my own, I've got no one to share the wins with? Like, what were the actual challenges that you had to work through of you being on your own in those first two years, firstly? Yeah, not having the buzz of just someone around you is tough. Not having yeah. someone at the end of the phone is is tough. Not having a mentor at the time was was tough. Like for me, was tough. My accounts is done by my old man, so he's he was always there as a good advisor. He's been a great advisor throughout the whole period of life, but also the last ten years, you know. But he was my old man, and we go to football together. So it was like we needed something else. But I think eventually, I just lost the buzz of like I needed I needed something something more. Yeah, and I thought I didn't just set this up just to be a one-man band and I could have just carried on being a one-man band like now if I wanted to be I just missed people like in COVID time I miss people the benefit is we've got everyone I still talk to people all day but at the time is we just miss people what I did love about it was and I still love about it to be honest is there was loads of flexibility you pick and choose whatever you want to do hour wise one of the things I've always liked I don't have a uh, I don't have a boss anymore so yeah. I don't have to deal with that but if anyone's starting out themselves, if they are a one-man band or a two-man band, my advice to you would be go and get a mentor or go and have someone you can speak to that you look up to and respect. Because if you can – got ideas all the time, right? But if you can just go yeah. like, I've got this idea, what do you think? Yeah. All they could say is yes or no, but give you some thought behind it. But I didn't really have that except for my dad. The reality is my dad gave me brilliant advice. But – and, you know – not many people have that. So my advice to anyone going into a world of like, you know what, your dad's great to get advice. You know, when he's a, he's a specialist in accounting, which was very helpful for me, especially starting out. But having like a real mentor and, and someone you can work with or work alongside someone would be my advice. Doing it on your own is yeah. tough. It's tough, yeah. So just on that, because you mentioned it a few times, Gareth having a real big impact on you. Like, so it seems like Gareth, that was quite organic. You ended up working for the same business, but how have you gone about getting a mentor? Like, is it as simple as identifying and seeing the people that you do aspire to that, and you reached out? I only realized a couple of years ago, the old CEO of Rudyom, John, started like having like a, an hour or two hour sessions with me about two years ago. 
we haven't done as much recently, but I haven't needed to, but I can come on to why. But I think at the point it was it was really useful. But it took me eight years to get to that point of realizing that. Why, did, why did it take you so long to ask for help? I don't know, mate, was... because I'm probably too bloody minded to be fair. I think really? and thought, you know, naively think that you know everything and yeah. I know best, which is one of my biggest weaknesses is I, I think that's just a, a lot of people's is you know best, right? Your company, you know best. Your recruiter, you know best. What, what was it that you helped with then that you least ex- that you least expected? Telling me to focus on, on what we're good at. Trying to do too many things was not a good thing. We tried to do some software, it's still live, right? And just do what you're good at. And me, I'm a good recruiter. Am I the best manager? Maybe not. Am I the best leader? I don't know if I'm the best leader, but I'm a good leader. Well, it's like a leading from being like my, my approach that I'm a leader from hands on. Yeah, leading but by I'm, example, yeah. Yeah, I'm not the manager. Like, I'm not, I'm not great. Other things that I just get that I hate, I, but this needs to be unpacked at a time was to you to grow MRJ, you need to release some stuff that you're doing. Delegation. Right? You're just trying to hold on to do too many things. Everything. Everything. That's a, but you know what? That is one of the biggest problems that I, that I speak to a lot of clients, entrepreneurs and people. And, and it's the same same with a lot of people, right? Why was you holding on to it? Was it because you just didn't feel like anyone could do it as good as you or you felt like you could only do it in the, the way that it needed to be done? Yeah, I think I just thought, well, I'm the best at doing it and did my yeah. relationships and that and that. And that just takes you a bit of trust. Way. Yeah, I think it just takes you like trust with your staff. You need to put more trust in them. And, you know, I've got people who are better than me now at recruitment, you yeah. know, and they're, they're flying, they're doing great stuff. But I just needed, it took me a time to put trust in them. It just like, you build the mm. relationships, you never want that relationship to, to end, right? Yeah. But I think talking to John, I just remember him going, he turned around to me and said, go, I'm going to go and build a software platform three years like the year before i sort of called with john john would have said you're bloody mad your company's going like this yeah. just continue going like that but what happened was we'd lost our focus because we were trying to do other things right so i was like right you're right you're right keep the focus of where you're going keep that path the way you're going but having someone to to basically bollock you in a way and yeah, yeah. and put you on that path is is important it just took me a long time to get there you know, I think if I look back at that first chat with John, it was brilliant. And I can pick up the phone to John anytime, you know, and, and I know that John would just be give me an honest an opinion. And I think what happened from there is suddenly the client relationships are now handled by the majority of the team. I've got a couple that I do myself, but the team do it. Like, in, yeah. and then September last year, I was just like, I'm just not enjoying doing, I'm just not enjoying doing this management side and the operational side and having this official title, MD. So we appointed one of the lads. So one of the lads who's, who's got a 10% grant to her answer said, mate, you, you love all the management and operational side. I want to step back and just want you to own it all. And I just don't get involved in it at all anymore. At all. Yeah. And I think what's I mean, happened is he's doing decisions. it. Oh, mate, it's the best decision I ever made. Best decision I ever made because he deals with all the crap. I just have the fun now. He's our chief of staff. I was always the mate, your chief of staff. You, you, you're managing the people. You're making sure they've got all the tools. You're making sure they're they're in the right place. I'm leading the sales activity with the team. You're you're supporting them in a way and, and leading it. And it's just released me massively. So I think my advice to anyone starting up would be: if you can get an advisor, get one. Yeah, not every advisor is going to be the right advisor, 
you know, I think John get brilliant. other people's opinions, get people's thoughts, like try and make it yeah. so it's not just you. John, John was brilliant for me, you know, I've, but I, over time I've also got a few other guys and girls I've been talking to who, who've been really good, you know, and we've, we're talking to someone else at the moment who may come full, full time on board, but I've just got involved in as well in, in a, uh, in a consultancy as like an advisor, funny enough. Because, you know, and I've learned a lot about building the startup of what it was and the mistakes I made. So I'm hoping yeah. they can use my experience to yeah. so keep them on. Yeah, I feel like the way, what, how I wrap that up is, yeah, try and like, don't feel like you know it all and like be open-minded to get other people's thoughts and these types. It only takes one thing for it to be worthwhile speaking to someone. Absolutely. To don't hold on, don't try and like do everything or hold on to like all of the things because you think you can do it best. If you do want to, if you do want to grow a, a business, a recruitment business, then you're going to have to trust other people, even though there may be some hiccups along the way and you think, oh, I could do this, but long term. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing was then, like you said, like having a real focus. I feel like recruitment businesses, they're entrepreneurs and, and people can be really open minded and see opportunities and they can go and try and take those opportunities, but then something else is going to be affected. So having yeah. a real focus and sticking to it. What I want to ask you then, and then I want to go into the sort of last few years, because it feels like you've just really turned a real positive corner in the last couple of years. So I guess, how would you sum up then, like the learnings from those hiring mistakes? So like after that two year period, where it's just like you mainly, then you were like, right, I'm going to, like, I need to start growing this. Like, it's just me not enjoying it. Let's get some people in, blah, blah, blah. And you said, it's just so many different failures in there. Like, what were the, because I think a lot of people can learn from that. What were the, like, one, three key things that I'm sure you've now used when growing your recruitment business yeah. more recently? This podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning Sourcebreaker. So again, I'm going to tell you about a source breaker customer story. And I love this one because it's a story that this person will remember forever because source breaker enabled them to make their first deal. And we all remember our first placement. So here's another source breaker story for you. First client signed one CV, one interview, one job offer, one week. As an apprentice recruitment consultant, I was keen to impress and get my first client under my belt. After setting up a call with a potential client, it became apparent that they needed help with a vacancy that had been live for some time. They needed very precise, specific experience and ASAP. We've all heard that before. I thought, where better to start than Sourcebreaker? I popped in the job title and the specific experience that this client needed, and guess what? Outcomes, one person, immediately available, perfect. I picked up the phone and told this person about the role. And guess what? It was a match made in heaven. I absolutely love those calls. He was interviewed the next morning, 9am, and the rest is history. Always check Sourcebreaker first. Couldn't have done it without you. If you haven't checked out Sourcebreaker yet, please go and check it out. Get yourself a demo. It will be a great 30 minutes worth of your time and start sharing stories just like this. If you've got time, take trainees. If you don't have time, don't take them. Okay. Someone said it to me the other day, right? Uh, yeah, a client said to me, uh, he posted something on LinkedIn and I pulled him up on it. And there was another like recruitment bashing. 
And he went, you know what the problem is, Jode? This guy's too young. He's got no experience. He's got no idea what he's talking about. He's trying to, to preach to me. And I was like, you, you get that. People have got to be given opportunities. People who want to get in the industry need to be given opportunities. But don't take them at the beginning if you don't have time to train them just because they're cheap. Yeah. You know? Mm. I'd prefer, if I look back, I'd prefer to spend more money on more experienced people to start with who are gonna who can help you drive your business to then allow you more juniors. So that's the first thing. Focus on what you're good at and get people who are really passionate about it. And what I mean by that is people go into recruitment and go, yeah, I want to make loads of money. So why do you want to get into IT recruitment? Oh, but it's a really good industry. You've got to be really interested in the, in the marketplace. You've got to be part of the market. Make sure you've got a platform that allows your teams to go and develop within the industry. So that's why we're involved in various different events, not because we don't use it as a recruitment uh, method like a lot of agencies do which is like oh we'll set up this we'll set up this uh this uh meetup so we can go and get loads of business from it which is we're here all the time but for me it's about actually learning more being better at what we do so making sure you've got a platform in place to allow that to happen in the company well, my biggest mistake i think i made was not taking it too serious at the beginning i thought it was dead easy because first year we made some money we thought we may as well spend it go and get people and it's just just easy and, and probably became a bit lazy because m- money can Pricing. make you lazy sometimes. Yeah, you can do it. So you make mistakes because you think they're always going to use me. It's fine. But you're only as good as your last deal. So you've got to keep it going. But I think we just hired, we hired some really good people at the time. We, we But we probably didn't give them a platform to grow as much as we probably, as I probably should have done, which yeah. is why they, they moved on. But that comes down to my own I'm not going to release anything. I'm not going to let anything go. Mm. But that's what I needed. I needed someone to basically turn around to me and go, you're not going to grow until you allow others to, to develop and do things and take ownership and do that. But that just came with, with experience, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time. But don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to make mistakes, mate. Like, I was always nervous about making mistakes, which is why I didn't let others manage stuff but people can only learn if they make a mistake and we can always rectify it. But also as a business, you're always going to make mistakes. Don't matter if you're a hundred million pound profit company, 20 years old, or you're, or you're starting up, you're still going to make mistakes. Mm. So let's talk about, let, let's finish up this, uh, the last sort of 15 minutes here, talking about some of the breakthroughs that maybe that you've had in the last couple of years. It seems like you've been on the real jet, like you're right. Your own personal real journey. It feels like, Getting, yeah. like getting out of your own way, trusting people, like letting people, yeah, take the range, recognizing what people are better at. There's a lot of people that would have continued to be Jody, who was who was like the beginning of this journey, like still 10, 15 years from now. Do you know what I mean? So like definitely hats off to you to, and I'm sure, yeah, clearly it wasn't easy, but you've, you've worked through it and you've been able to do it, but there will still be people that won't get out of their own way. Talk to us about the last couple of years then like really interested in this sort of uh, talent piece yeah uh, i think because i think that's i do feel like more and more recruitment businesses uh are doing things like that uh, so it'd be love to hear sort of your experience of that and and how that sort of product and service came about okay. and then i guess just obviously you mentioned around grant and that being a pivotal moment where you let someone own the operations and chief of people and these types of things. That was really pivotal. But I guess any other pivotal moments you think that maybe wouldn't have happened, Jody had the mindset he did five, six, seven years ago. 
I'm going to go back four years where it started properly, I think, okay. to where we are today. So if you remember, I said, like, we basically ripped up what we were doing. Yeah, yeah, you decided, right, let's let's build a place that we yeah. want to work for, people so, want to work for. So yeah. people always say to me, oh, 10 years, unbelievable. But, I'd like, forget the years, right? If we would we would, we would nearly change the name about four or five years ago. And yeah. in effect, we were going to start afresh. So I always go back, you know what? Let's go with, let's go with a five-year-old company. And then yeah. we were like, right, what do we really want to do? We want to work with companies. And we had a goal in mind. We, we had a few targets that we wanted to do. One of the key targets was money supermarket, moving to Manchester from, from Chester. We thought, how great would it be for us to get money supermarket? Like it's the most used website in the UK in terms of comparison. What, you know, and let's go and get it. And we got it. And it was a platform for MRJ to be put. Suddenly they're going, shit, who is this MRJ? You know? And then off the back of that, we started working with a few startups. So we had some startups in mind. So we were like, okay, well, let's go and pick the companies we really want to be working with. We had some really yeah. cool startups. And then it's just gone on from there because reputation-wise, we don't do cold calling, which is going to be a surprising thing to a lot of people out there, right? But our, our I don't target my team on cold calling. 99% of them, right? This is like, it's probably, like, don't do cold calling. But 99% of our clients have come from the last four years, recommendations from work that we've done and people we work with, right? We don't have KPIs. We don't, I don't care how many people, I, I really don't care how many calls people make, how many emails are sent. I really don't care because it's irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. Money Supermarket is still four years later are working with us. So for me, we're doing something right. And off the back of that, we've now got Hermes Parcel Delivery, as an example, came off the back of a referral from Morris's Supermarket. So they've all come from referrals, right? But then you asked me about MRJ Talent. And we started working with some startups and I had a contact who was setting up a company, Push Doctor. And I thought about this model. I'd heard about this model and I'd never really done it. So Push Doctor were wanting to launch in Manchester. And I was like, Eric got an idea. How about we just do like a bit of a, a different type of model where we have someone dedicated on site, you pay us a monthly fee and we, we own the whole thing for you. And we helped them grow from three people startup to 120 people, which is a, a couple of years. And we did everything from tech to uh, to marketing to even helping customer service it was a really on-site model and it was great so then we were like right this was coming to the end but i was thinking you know you, a lot of them they're, they're a project but this was like a two-year project yeah and i was like right i'm gonna go and set up a proper on-site talent arm and i met someone who would work with in the past and i was and i was and i was about to offer him the job and uh, honestly and I don't mind putting it on him. He sees it. He knows full well. I got shot on because I told the, we had the plan. We had companies about to go and target. Next minute, he's uh, directed for Talentful in oh, Manchester, savage. right? And I it burned me, right? And it really, so it annoyed me. Don't trust everyone. Don't, don't trust everything, right? Is what I always say. So I'm a bit more wary about yeah, yeah, sir. people that take on. Anyway, it happened. So we put us back in our plan, but we always had a plan to do this on-site talent partnership. But what we're focused on is, right, okay, we've got these clients. We're going to build our reputation up with these various different clients over time, which is what we've done. And the guys have done some great stuff, like some mega, mega stuff over the last four years has been great. I think the best thing that we did was there's four of us MRJ. So everyone sees MRJ as like Joe, CEO, founder. But really, for me, it's four of us, you know, it's got three other shareholders and they're as, as important as I am to the company. And I think that was really, if I look back at the beginning, would I have done it myself again? 
No, I've definitely done it with someone or really? two or three people. Yeah. And because we share the care and love about what we're trying to do and we're invested in it. And I know these guys aren't going. I've always had this doubt, what happens if I give too much and then someone goes, you know, but, mm. you know because they're a small company. And that happened. So one of my guys left, went to a rival. One day they tapped into my recruitment database and tried to take, take data, which wasn't great. So I got burned a few times along the way. So just be wary of who you trust. But I always had this plan, MRJ talent. There must be a market for it. And you know what? We did our first one, like properly one at the start of 2020. And it started as a three-month engagement. It's coming to the end this month. She's been on site 18 months wow. because of the work that she'd done. And she's not just found people. She's helped build a talent brand. She's done the talent acquisition, do it. We've been on site. I've been on site personally with a company since, uh, since September away's. Always wanted to open in Manchester. Why, why, why do you think that's becoming more and more popular? Do you think? Because I do. I'm sure you've seen it, right? It's like what you put on your LinkedIn. It's like, yeah, like you said, like Push Doctor via MRJ. Like I'm, see, I'm sure you've noticed that. I'm seeing more and more. Loads of it. Like, do you think it's so? It's like you're actually really solving more problems for a business, which is why, like, it, I don't know, like, why? Well, why do you see this being? Their own yeah, I think what happens is, I think recruitment companies and agents and consultants can delve into networks that others don't and that's why we're we're very valuable right so yeah but what i think happens sometimes is you're using these partners then you want to save cost yeah so we want to bring in internal recruiters but internal recruiter could cost you 30 40 50 grand basic on the bottom line but what happens in three months time when the project to find those 10 people's finished what do we do with that person I think that's a lot of mindset, especially startups. So when you go into like a project for a project, does that make, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, like, it's a lot more flexible. It's like they can flexible. do it in line with like the, yeah, yeah so it helps cash flow. What I found is, is why our model is, is different to some others. Like our model is fixed fee, fixed yeah. fee per month to get a consultant. Do you, like, do you charge partner. per placement? And then per placement, but it's fixed fee. What yeah, it allows, so, and what I'm it sure that's a bit, slightly, a bit more reduced than what it would yeah. be. Yeah. So they get, they get everything. They get advertising. They get uh, the whole sort of job profile, job specs, and everything completely redefined. We get a brand mm. out there. We've got a marketing guy who puts all the marketing activity behind it. We then find the people, but we're motivated still to find people rather than just doing talent brand. And what happens yeah. sometimes, what I found is you're inside, we, we have internal talent partners. I can never, I can't get my head around this, right? Sometimes you have internal talent partners who don't recruit, but they then use recruiters. So what's the point of them? Right. Do, I mean, do I mean what because what are they doing are they doing like the onboarding they're and they're doing the interview process they say, oh we'll do the brand we'll do the onboarding process we'll do the recruitment right. and interview process so it's just costing them more money and then when the project's finished what happens so you know they, they're there but what happens there's no roles to recruit yeah we need to build the brand and those side of things so i just so we, we tried it with a few companies and it's worked really well we're live with four companies now. What are the deliverables out of interest? Like, you don't have to go into like all the detail, but like, is it very, is it, oh, we're going to get X number of CVs per month. We're going to get X number of interviews per month for you. We don't get focused on, I don't put anything like that in place. It's about, really? yeah. I, well, one of them, we, we have this, we, <laughs> so CTO said to me at the beginning, I don't want you. I want this other recruiter. Because he's my mate, but everyone else what he does. So for like six months, he was going, how's your three-to-one ratio going? How's your three-to-one ratio between uh, like CV to replacement? <laughs> and it became a laughing joke uh, until they realized that our ratios were better. 
And I find that actually we're not just there to, we're finding the people. We don't get tired to how many candidates we find. We don't get tired, like in terms of, you, we could find them 10 people in a month, but 10 people don't get a job. What's the point? Yeah. We just focus on, on, um, on results and results are finding the people within a certain amount of time. So we like to say that on average, we're now placing candidates from role coming out to placement is around 18 to 19 days across everything. Wow. That's, that's from initial engagement in terms of we're going there, then we've got to get all the specs. So is it, we're signing off this role, right? Then we're going to get all the specs done, then we get the adverts done, then we get the pre- interview for that and all these process. On average, it's about 18, 19. Some of them are about 11, 12 days. Some of them are a bit more. So that's why it's averaging out. Before, so I look at it more about how can we reduce time to hire? Time to hire, yeah. So I'm really looking at times higher. So you can send as many CVs as you want, but it's irrelevant. You know, yeah, so, I mean, that's a great deliverable, yeah. isn't it? Tell me what your current time to hire is. Yes, yeah, it's, it's 45 bring it days. Down. Okay, well, we're going to bring that's it down. What it needs yeah. to be done. So it's time to hire. And if time to hire is improving at the right sort of cost, that's our case study that we go in with, with everyone. Yeah. Rather yeah, than, oh, you know what? In September, we sent out uh, 45 CVs. Yeah, but how many people do you place? Oh, you didn't yeah. place anyone, but we did 45 CVs. Oh, well, oh, great. At least you've got some people interested. <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> you know what I mean? So talent's developing. It's a developing yeah. model. We, we do some great stuff. You know, it doesn't come without its issues as well sometimes. You know, I think, you know, what I've come to realize is recruiter, you're very much on the outside and you don't see how, what has to go in from the yeah. inside. So what it's actually done is it's enabled my team in general, for the, the core day, is that when sometimes they get frustrated because they haven't had feedback after the 48 hours and they'll promise yeah, it. They really understand the internal, the internal Now they get it. And, yeah. Now they understand that actually things could be going on inside. So for one of them, I've got, I've got my Teams account, I've got my email address, I've got that, I've meetings with them all the time, I see what's going on. But we understand that better. So I think we've become a better company in the last 18 months because A, We've uh, we've kept the same team, we've grown the team, but we haven't had a revolving door, and actually we've got better together. B, we understand recruitment. I think our team have been more understanding of what goes on, rather than the transactional recruiter who's getting really pissed off because I can't get feedback in thirty six hours. I've got no interest in working with you anymore. I know certain mm-hmm. companies in Manchester at the moment who were messaging companies around there going, "Your feedback's too slow. Got no interest in working with you. Thanks for your time." Right, but you know what's going to happen? What happens in six months' time when the companies they're working with now stop recruiting, and the desperate things happen? Do you know what I mean not everything happens just how you want it to happen? So I think you need to have that more understanding. So talent's going great. I think um, recruitment side, like our MLJ recruitment, which is our, you know, I'd say is our, our, our core, is is doing really good. Like they, the guys are doing brilliant stuff at the minute, and then we just got involved with the new consultancy called Nebula. We've been talking to the guys for about eight weeks. They are dish, like digital consultancy, digital product consultancy. Um, started up, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago now? Going into places and putting like real product teams on site. Three super, super bright guys. Like super, super bright, intelligent guys. And, you know, I think Tuesday, Wednesday next week, we should sign our first client on board in, in three weeks, which is amazing. And it's in America. will be our first one. We should be live in San Fran in like four weeks for our first, first uh, client project. And that's great because it's given me personally some, some new skills 
of like more of like advising. Um, but also from a recruitment point of view, we're going to ramp up pretty quickly in that business. Hopefully is the plan as well. Um, which is, which is great. So as we come to the end here, I guess just, just find the question interesting in your thoughts. I think one, I think you've been on such an interesting journey. So thanks for sort of sharing the, the journey that you've been on and, and being so honest. I guess where, look, you've been in recruitment for a long time. Clearly you're someone that's really gone on your own personal journey of being open-minded to how you can do things better and improve and these types of things. Like where, where do you see recruitment going in the next sort of decade? Do you think? What are you wow. thinking about? So everyone keeps saying to me, oh my God, technology is literally going to remove the recruiter, which I just think is rubbish. Like that, mm. that's my opinion, right? Technology will, en- will enhance the industry and enhance people's yeah. decision-making maybe, but it's not going to replace a recruiter. I can never imagine a place, and maybe I'm just naive here, but I could never imagine the interview, the one-to-one interview with a manager and a candidate will be replaced just by technology, which uh-huh. is what people keep telling me. I think um, it just it'll, it'll enable the human elements of it. I think it will just really, yeah, it will make, it'll, yeah. Where do I think it's going to be in ten years? So talent partnership is a big thing for me. I think what I'm finding is is what so talent partners is one, I, and um, don't want to get too much of my secrets away, but that's that's how going to be yes. our, our our big drive for the next for the next few years. I think you know, and we're learning on the job doing that. We're making, like I say, we're making some mistakes in that area, but we, we're getting better as well. I think that. There's, what I'm noticing is less and less KPI-heavy companies is a good thing. But I also think that the industry is becoming... I think what happened in COVID times is a lot of crap went out of the industry. Yeah. It did. And I think that's a good thing because I'm seeing less recruitment bashing. Mm. Because I think people actually... Uh, there's better people in the industry... You're always going to get, in any industry you go into, there's going to be some, it's not everyone's going to be perfect. But I think if you can keep growing, nurturing, training, and really showing time to develop and health and well-being, then that's a big thing. But, mate, where do I think it'll be in 10 years? I don't know where it's going to be in, like, a week's time. It changes by the day, right? Yeah, it's exciting. Like, we, like we change. Like, things happen all the time. I um, There's something exciting that's going on on Monday in our place that's, we didn't think it was going to happen. Then, then Wednesday, we've got a pitch for something which could turn into something ridiculously big, potentially, which which can change our model again. So we've got to evolve with it. But I think the talent partnership thing is, is definitely my thing that I'm really excited about. I'd really like to see a lot more investment in in training of and, and for the industry, but that's just in every industry as a whole, which is I think is really important because... Don't expect, my final thing is I always say, is just don't expect that someone's just going to know how to do it. You've got If you're going to take someone on, you've got to give them time. I made yeah. that mistake. I made that mistake and I still do it sometimes. It's like, you're paying this person money, you expect it's going to be done like that. Yeah. Ooh, have you spent any time with them to invest in them? No. Yeah, give people a chance, a real chance. Give people a chance. But like, it's a difficult one to answer, mate. But I do think the talent partnership model, yeah. for me, where it's going to be a massive marketplace over in 10 years' time, I'd be shocked if there's not a lot more of that, those talent partnerships over Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Jody, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming hey, on the podcast. it's been great, actually. Thanks for uh, being super honest and really excited to, to see how you and your business evolves. No, mate, really good. Appreciate it. And uh, you. you have a great weekend. Cheers. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. 
I hope you enjoyed it. Done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.